G'day and welcome to the Cultivate Farms podcast. Sam Marwood here and thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We're thinking of as many ways to get you onto your farm or help you to step back and we really hope you find all this information useful and inspiring. Let's get you farming. G'day everybody, Sam Marwood here from Cultivate Farms uh, and we're all about uh, making it possible for anyone to own a farm and and creating pathways uh, for you to get onto your farm. And part of what we're doing is trying to create content to inspire you to follow your dreams. One way of doing that is interviewing great people in the ag industry, uh, especially in the, around, the, around the farm knowledge, farming skills. And that's the reason why I've got Terry McCosker here from RCS. Uh, Terry set up RCS back in the mid-80s, and Terry can correct me if I'm wrong as we get going, but it's uh, focused on helping them farmers get the skills they need to succeed uh, and we've been working with RCS over the last six months in the background uh, and forming a partnership we've got a, a really cool announcement to make at the end of this uh, but RCS have been great supporters of ours and I wanted to uh, get in and just uh, pick Terry's brain around what we're doing and his experience in farming so Terry thank you for your time thank you Sam good to talk to you so what's your backstory, Terry? Uh, were you an aspiring farmer at some stage? I was. I grew up on the land. Uh, we had a small dairy farm of 30 cows, and uh, I wanted to come back on the land. In fact, I left school early and went back on the farm for a while, and then uh, there was five of us in the family. We had, I think we only had a couple of hundred acres and 30 cows, and my father said, none of you are coming back here. Um, you can all go and get professions and trades, etc. And I think we all ended up with professions. Um, so, uh, and I was lucky enough to go directly from the farm, which um, which was almost like going straight from school into Queensland DPI and uh, 1967, which means I've been working professionally now in agriculture for 52 years. Um, and... Uh, I did a cadetship, which was a fantastic way to learn because uh, you're studying and implementing at the same time. So what you're studying is really relevant and uh, you're learning it, you remember it. I still remember stuff that I learned way back then. And, and when you, you know, if you just go and study for the sake of studying without actually knowing how you're going to use that knowledge or what's relevant in the knowledge, um, it's, it's much harder to remember. So... Uh, I had the privilege, I did a five-year cadetship with DPI and I actually spent 11 years with Queensland DPI and uh, uh, I went from there to a property in the Northern Territory where we had 12,000 breeders, um, 1,200 square miles and it was run by an American company. So this was then uh, late 70s and... Um, Late 70s, yeah, late 70s, I'm getting mixed up between the 70s and 80s. And uh, the beef lump was on um, and I remember we sold 6,000 heifers at uh, $30 a head, uh, about the only purebred farmers in the Territory at that stage. Um, and then I was basically given a property uh, and unlimited resources to solve a lot of problems. And um, so I... It was a, an unbelievable opportunity. I was a 27-year-old at the time and uh, um, was just unbelievable. So I was worked in everything from reproductive physiology, animal nutrition, ecology, 
uh, improved pastures, soils, economics. Um, I had the opportunity to look at putting together a whole system uh, from one which was severely broken. And we solved every problem we set out to solve in uh, under five years and many that we didn't know were there when we started. So that gave me a background in thinking systems and in thinking holistically. Uh, I didn't know the word holistic then, but um, and what would happen is I had access to experts from all over the world in any subject I wanted. And when I'd bring an expert in, every expert could look at my problems and with their blinkers on, they could solve 80% of my problems. And it was pretty evident to me that nobody, you know, 15 people couldn't solve 80% of my problems each. Um, and so I would take knowledge from them if it was relevant to what I was putting together and plug it in somewhere into a system. And if what they were telling me was not relevant, then I'd just let it go through to the keeper. And some people wouldn't work for me more than once because I didn't implement what they thought I should have done. Um, but they didn't know what I knew, which was what I was trying to put together. And it's no different today when you're looking to run a farm. It's a whole system and it involves understanding the economics, understanding the ecology, understanding your production systems and understanding your business and, uh, you know, and your people. Um, the people are the thing that actually drives it, makes it work or make it fail. And, um, and so that's ten, that, I think that period back there was training for what I do today. Uh, and it was a great, unbelievable experience. And I remember in 1985 when that project finished, um, I was funded by the Northern Territory Government to publish everything that I'd done. And I wrote 18 papers in about seven different disciplines, each peer-reviewed four times in one year. <laughs> Terry, I didn't know. This is amazing. There was so much to unpack there. But can I go back to you being a 27-year-old and you've been given this opportunity? What does that mean? As in, you were you were managing this farm? Were you given farm ownership? Or and and also mainly, I want to because we, we focus on um, next-gen farmers being farm entrepreneurs, and it sounds like you had put yourself in the right spot at the right time, surrounded yourself with the best people, and shown that you were very clever and dedicated, which let you have this opportunity be given to you. Can you, can you unpack that? What, what was happening when you were 27? Yeah. I flew across the territory with my family for a three-day interview. And at the end of that job interview, they said to me, well, you've got the job. And I said, I don't want it. And uh, I said... Firstly, I know absolutely nothing about this ecosystem. I don't know these trees. I don't know these grasses. I've never worked with an extensive breeder herd. You know, I come off a 30-cow dairy herd and you've got 12,000 cows out there um, on native pastures. You know, I, and I said, look, I can't help you. Um, you're better off going to the DPI and finding somebody with the expertise. And they said something to me then that I have never forgotten. And they said, no. They said, we want somebody who has no preconceived ideas. And I think for your entrepreneurs wanting to get into agriculture, there's a real lesson there. When we look at regenerative agriculture and what we're doing today, we've actually, a lot of people that have grown up traditionally in the system actually have to unlearn stuff. Whereas if you're coming from somewhere else um, and you understand first principles, you can actually make things work. Um, and you're not starting out with deeply entrenched paradigms, which are actually wrong. 
with today's knowledge. If you just excuse me a bit, I'll just shut the door to keep some of the background knowledge out. Yeah, all good, man. Noise, I should say. <laughs> could be knowledge, depends what they say. Yeah, well, it could be some of that. <laughs> Sorry, I meant to shut that early, but I... Um, you're not, you're right, mate. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was that I had to solve all the problems without local knowledge and based on first principles. And that is what paid dividends. You wouldn't believe what dividends that paid. And, and as a result, I made several world-first discoveries um, because I had an open mind and I wasn't trapped into my existing or any paradigms for that piece of country. And so I think there's a real lesson there for anyone coming into agriculture, especially from outside. I think that indicates that if you understand or you learn some first principles, um, you are just as likely to be successful as anyone that's lived in the, been in the industry for a lifetime. Uh, Terry, this is amazing. We can't delve into the uh, lessons you learned, but is, is there somewhere that people can go, because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this, where to find all that knowledge and lessons you have? <laughs> there's not actually what um, well, it's not online yeah. Yeah. well there's a lot of old papers that I wrote back then um, but they're all based on northern production systems and uh, it's funny you should ask that because I've had a, a friend of mine that's been asking me to write a book about myself and I said I refuse to write a book about myself and uh, he, he on the weekend he said alright I'll pay somebody else to write a book about you <laughs> and so that's where some of that knowledge might end up in the next 18 months. So, but there great. is a fair – but when I think about it, when you ask that question and of where is it, it actually isn't anywhere except still sitting here and a lot of it, it – it's, it's in what I teach and it comes through what we're doing, um, but it's not, it's not written down anywhere. So it does sound like RCS is that knowledge, though, in a way, and that's, that's why you started RCS. So you were working on this farm, you had all this knowledge, and you thought, well, how do I – how do, I, how do I replicate this? How do I share it? Is that, is that the premise? That's correct. So I, I left that in 85 and started RCS at the same time. Uh, and then my first year in RCS was spent publishing and writing up um, that work, which was my first consultancy. Uh, and um, in fact, in, in RCS at that stage, I did not have a clear vision of what I wanted to achieve. And so for five years, pretty well, we floated around um, until I met Stan Parsons in 1989. So it was four years later and got exposed again to holism or the concept of holistic management. And Stan was a partner of Alan Savory's for 13 years. And I credit Stan with a lot of where Alan Savory's at today. And it was their combined intellect that the world owes it a debt of gratitude to, not either one by themselves. And um, so when I met him, um, that got me thinking back again in a systems approach because I'd been doing that. But in fact, after five years, seven years I was on the property, at the pace I'd been working at, I was actually burnt out and didn't realise it at the time. So at that stage I was 35 and I was completely burnt out. Anyway, um, I found that out a bit later, but um, I think we, uh, so then I sort of started then to learn a bit more about holism and um, 
and particularly in the context of grazing. So when I was working in the Territory, the carrying capacity of that landscape was a beast to 100 acres in its native state. And in my experiments, I ran them at a beast to 35 acres, which is still pretty low stocking rate. And what I found within five years was that all the desirable plants were in decline in what was basically almost pristine country, uh, declined and started to disappear within five years. And I had a couple of ecologists come out and, and rangeland specialists and that sort of stuff and showed them around the paddocks and showed them the data and said, look, this country's going backwards and I've got no idea why. And their answer was, no, that's just normal. And it wasn't until four to five years later when I met Stan Parsons, I, um, and it was within the next one to two years that I understood why and what was actually happening. So, um, and that was a revelation, but it was a revelation that I could relate back to real experience and a concern that I had about the ecosystem in decline, but I had no idea why. So, I don't know where I was going with that. No, no, this ties in because I... Um, so you got RCS to try and uh, get your knowledge out there to farmers, but are there farmers... Why do farmers come to you? Is it because they, they've they heard that you're fantastic or they think, oh, I want to be, I want to do holistic farming or they're, they're, at, they're just at a, a brick wall and they don't know what to do? What What is the... What is it there? Have they heard your backstory, for example, how you... You didn't have this holistic understanding, and you went through it, and you learned that it works. What's um, what's the uh, mindset? Well, none of them, none of them have ever heard that backstory, yeah. and um, so I think there's a there's a number of motivations. Um, I would say most of the men that come into the courses that we do are bought there by their wives or sent by their wives, and part of that's to do with business. And part of it's to do with lifestyle and communication. I just I finished a course last Tuesday night, and Wednesday morning I ran into a couple as I was leaving the hotel, and this lady came up and gave me a big hug, and she just said, "Thank you, you've just changed our lives." But not only that, you have just saved our marriage, and that is, mm-hmm. I think, what a lot of it's about. People, the women understand there's a problem. And the men bury themselves in doing stuff in the paddock and ignore the issues. And the women understand that the, particularly at a business end, things are going wrong and at a communication level. So that's one motivation. Um, the second motivation is that there are people who understand, like I did, that their landscape was going backwards but didn't know why and didn't want to continue that trend. Uh, that's quite a big motivator and, and I think there's so many people in the same position I was in that you're observing stuff that's not going right and is actually, you know, if you look at something over five to ten years, you can actually see the decline in landscapes and people seeing that but they're starting to question, is that normal, you know, as I was told, that's just normal. It is not normal. It is bad management and... So there's a big proportion of people coming for that reason, which is to to find out how to reverse that landscape um, thing, uh, you know, decline. And I think the other reason is that that we've got a pretty fair reputation now, and 
I think 90 plus percent of the people that do our courses are word of mouth. Um, so, it, you know, one family member might start and then the rest of the family turns up and then um, people within the same district. And it, it sort of spreads like that. Um, friends are sent along by other friends who went. And it, that's basically word of mouth. So, and that's partly due, I think, to the fact that we open people, we give people hope, I think, in agriculture. We open them up to all the possibilities and all the things that you can do to make a better ecosystem, to have more fun, to have a less stressful life and to make some money while you're doing it. And and I think that's the beauty of agriculture is we can actually do all of those things, you know, and heal an environment while we're doing it and produce what better quality food than we've produced in the past. It's an exciting place to be. Agriculture has never been as exciting as it is right now. There's a, there's a worldwide shift in people's thinking and their interest in agriculture. Um, and it's just fantastic to have a little part in that, you know. Oh, Terry, this is awesome. I love hearing everything you're saying. And we're, we're positive as well. And I think from the we'll – get, we'll get into this detail in a second around next-gen farmers and how they get the foot in the door. But – the reason why we've reached out to you guys and you particularly is, is uh, we want to save time for aspiring farmers. We want to set up farmers onto farms that succeed from day dot because our reputation's on the line if they don't because people will hear about it. And that's what we're offering, I think, with, as cultivators that we're trying to find the best people who know how to run farms and put our aspiring farmers, farmers in front of you. Uh, um, so that's, I guess that's the backstory around why we're talking as well. We've, we've had so many people say you've got to talk to RCS and that this has been over the last three years. So we finally did it and we've reached out. And, um, and the main thing that people talked about, which is leading to this next question, this is all flowing very nicely, Terry, it's, you're doing well, um, is the grazing for profit course. And that's what most people, uh, there's probably two avenues that you can get direct support from you guys or you can be part of the course are probably the two main things to RCS that I hear about the course all the time. Can you just give a, a quick outline of this grazing for profit course theory is it is it just your brain on paper and in and in presentations it is um and other brains like it's many brains on paper and uh in discussion and on the screen and in all sorts of different formats um it's it, it is a, it's more than a course it's actually a process which is why that lady came out the other day and said you know you, you probably potentially you've saved our marriage as well because it actually changes people. You cannot go through it and come out the other end the same person you went in or not and not see the world differently. And so to do that, uh, that process, and it's a very sophisticated process, it's actually been evolving over about 40 years. So it's not a, it's not a course that we sat down one day and decided to write um, it actually comes from Stan Parsons and right back in Alan Savory and Stan Parsons' roots, and and it's evolved and grown and continues to grow, you know, every year. And but so what we cover is um, is economics, uh, finance. So we look at how to analyse a business, the um, tools you need to run a business from a financial point of view effectively, uh, rules around borrowing money, and uh, how you manage money in a business. Um, we do a lot around uh, personal stuff. There's quite a lot of personal development in the school and some of that is around time management, some of it is around overcoming problems, 
we look at goals and visions and then look at constraints. What stops people achieving their constraints? And the conclusion we've come to over a long period of time is that all our constraints are in fact self-imposed. So we look at how we overcome. You know, it could be lack of knowledge, lack of self-belief is a massive constraint that always comes up with a big pile of people. Lack of confidence, lack of self-belief, etc., etc. Um, so as a part of the process, we address those things. So then we look at ecology because a farm is an ecosystem and we cannot separate ecosystem health from productivity. So we start with the ecosystem and, um, and then we look at um, plant production principles. So what is it that drives plant production? How's biology involved in that? How's sunlight involved in that? What can we do as managers to capitalise on the things we get for free. So we get sunlight, water, air, soil biology, ecosystem services and subtle energy all for free. There is no other manufacturing business that gets that many raw materials for free. And so therefore we, but the problem is that we all undervalue the things we get for free. But we've got to put value on those things and therefore manage them to improve our outcomes. Um, then we look at grazing management principles, um, how to manage grass and animals together. Um, look at a bit of practical stuff around infrastructure and how to develop a property effectively for this century because there's a lot of stuff that's different in this century from the last century. Things like uh, energy, the cost of energy, um, energy efficiency, we need to think about. Labor use efficiency, we've got to think about. Environmental outcomes, the fact that there's a, an eye in the sky looking at everything you do every day um, that wasn't there in the last century. So there's a whole lot of things that we've got to plan for and manage for. Um, we also uh, look at drought management. Um, and we develop a whole lot of drought management principles together. Um, and then we look at things like uh, animal nutrition, reproduction, how do we go about monitoring our landscape, our productivity. Um, we've got a tool called the grazing chart, which is the only tool that I'm aware of that can predict the drought and tell you when it's over. So it's a very, very powerful tool. Um, and then we bring all that together in a process that's quite unique. Um, so it's a it's an exciting process. It's uh, it's very intense, but that's a part of its its function and its purpose. And uh, people come out the other end with hope and motivation. Oh, Tara, I've got about twenty follow up questions, but I'm not allowed to because we've got to keep, stick to time. But there's one thing you said there about. Um, uh, mindset was the biggest barrier and that's really interesting that you say that because I, I I think and come just selfishly coming back to what we're doing at Coldwell Farms that's exactly what we say to any next-gen farmer it's there it's absolutely possible for you to own a farm uh, it's just about your mindset and, and knowing there's ways to get around those barriers in your in your head and it sounds exactly the same thing with running a farm uh, there's definitely ways around uh, any problem you're dealing with it's having the the mindset to, that you can get around it, which sounds like it's the key. It's a core. It's probably for business and life in general as well, isn't it? It is. And I think the realisation that everyone takes away because it's called grazing for profit. So they think it's about grazing and they think it's about profit. But the big message everyone takes away is it's actually about people and it's about management and it's about attitude and it's about mindset. 
Great. So yeah. it's not just for grazing the interior, which is probably a key point. Anyone? Anyone. Um, I have people from other businesses every time. I have accountants. Pretty well every course we have, we have one or two accountants. We have one or two vets. Uh, we have agronomists. We have um, people, teachers, you know, all sorts of professions, builders. Um, i got a very good friend who's a builder, and when he did the course, well, it must probably 15, 20 years ago now, he was in deep trouble, um, massive debts, and um, you know, and I'm talking the tens of millions. And he took the business principles and the attitude stuff out of the school and went away within three years, turned himself completely around and turned that debt back into profit and and got out of the hole that he was in. So there's it, mm. it there's a lot of stuff in there about life and about business that's not just about agriculture. That's amazing, which leads to my next question around if you don't own a farm, this is what I've always thought with the grazing for profit course. I was like, oh, it's great if you own a farm. But if, after chatting with you guys, I realized, no, this is for anyone, as you said, it builders. Uh, so your thoughts on if you don't own a farm yet, but you've got dreams of uh, owning a farm, Terry, how useful this course could be? It's, um, I would think it's essential. In fact, one of the feedbacks we get from every course and from so many people is that it should be compulsory for every person owning and managing land. Um, and for somebody starting out, what it does is provide you all of those fundamental principles that I talked about. So there's principle that we actually fit about a three-year ag college qualification into a week. And the reason we can do that is that firstly we leave out two and a half years worth of drinking time, <laughs> but we focus on principles. So we look at the fundamental principles of business, the fundamental principles of ecology, the principles of plant production, the principles of grazing, the principles of nutrition, the principles of reproduction, um, you know, all of those, the principles of drought, all of those things that we deal at a principle level. And then those principles are the same all over the world. We can teach this course in Tasmania, Darwin, Africa or Canada where, where it snows for five months of the year. And they're exactly the same principles. But the way you would implement those principles in Victoria compared to North Queensland, for example, or Darwin, would be quite would be uh, different in the recipe and the way you implement. But the principles are exactly the same. And for people starting out, you need those principles to filter information. There's a lot of information out there, and there's a fair percentage of it that's wrong. And if you're getting your information off the net and so on, where a lot of people are these days, then the question I often get is, well, how do you actually filter that to know what you should be looking at and to know what's real? And my answer is I use principles as filters. So if what's there, what knowledge is there, does not match up with fundamental principles, then it's somebody having a go, making stuff up. So um, you can ignore it. And if it fits the principles, add it to your own knowledge base and keep growing. I like that. I like that, Terry. Now, I want to um, want to deviate a little bit um, and get your knowledge based on your experience with working farmers uh, for as long as you have and, and talk about what we're doing with Cultivate Farms. And uh, I've got a few questions about retiring farmers coming up. But what? Um, so we're, we're all about matching, matchmaking pretty much and... Uh, making it possible for the next gen to know that they can own a farm and maybe they're not going to buy it outright, you know, day dot, um, but they can earn their way in and they can uh, convince a retiring farmer to back them. Um, what is it about what we're doing, Terry, that, that uh, sparked your interest and 
uh, were happy enough to have it have it catch up with me a few times. Well, firstly, I love the name Cultivate Farms for what you're doing. It's just a brilliant, um, brilliant play on words. Um, and secondly, I love what you're trying to do. I, I, we need new people, and particularly from outside the industry, that haven't grown up in it. We need them in the industry because they don't have our paradigms. Um, and they'll try new things and um, they can learn very quickly and get things right very quickly. Um, so I think that's, a, that's a, a really good thing. So, And I also like your passion for uh, regenerative agriculture, the, um, the way you're heading, um, and, and recognising that people need some basic fundamental knowledge before they launch into something as complex as agriculture. It, in a, in a sense, it's simple, but also, in another sense, it's very complex. Um, so I, I think, you know, what you're doing, preparing people, finding matchmaking, there's a real need for that. And uh, when I first heard about you, you know, a few years ago when you first started, I thought that's a, a brilliant concept. And, um, you know, I really like it. I'm pleased somebody's out there doing it. Uh, and I also know there's a lot of hard work uh, for not a lot of reward. And um, so I've really got to um, encourage you to keep going. Um, and and you would know that it's the, the bigger problem is actually finding how do, how do you get in. There's not a there's not a shortage of people that want to get in. What's short is the opportunities to get in. Um, and and I think for you to keep working away at that, I think is a is a great thing, and um, and and you know, and using you know the the modern technology like we're doing right now, you know, I I keep saying to my staff, I'm an analog guy, you know, don't don't expect me to get too digital, but um, you know, but I think um, there's um, there's there's a lot that you can be doing in this space to get people ready and then support them once they step in, because I think it's not only a matter of getting in, but it's a matter of support. And the support at many levels is um, the sort of personal support, um, you know, at a people end and somebody to talk to. Um, there's support around running a business and making different different decisions. Need support around the timeliness in agriculture because if you need to make a decision today, it needs to be today. You can't put it off for next week because you're dealing with a biological system. So people need that kind of support as well. And then just support in general decision-making um, in agriculture because the decision-making processes and the, the number of decisions you have to make is just constant um, when you get in there. And, and um, so I think it's a real need for an organisation like yours. And uh, Pleased to see you in it. Oh, thanks, Terry. Appreciate all those words, mate. And, and I guess those last points you're talking about there is why we want to partner with people at RCS is that our job is not to provide all that farm advice but to know that we've got the match there and connecting with people with the right people to give them the advice like RCS to get out there and, and succeed. Um, so uh, I guess why I was interested with uh, your backstory as well, Terry, is just it feels very similar to our backstory and I'm actually one of six kids my dad's didn't my dad and mum didn't give me the farm either and I was a cadet in government so it's a bit, uh, a bit freaky that we're of, uh, 
got a similar background there, mate. But I was very interested to hear your story because the way you started RCS is how I think we want our aspiring farmers to think it, that, that it's just about hustle and hard work and sh- proving yourself and then opportunities arise. But that's an aside. I want, I want to get back to these. Um, I want to get to retiring farmers and uh, farmers you you deal with every day and, or have dealt with in the past as well. But um, do you feel there are retiring farmers out there who are prepared to hand their farm onto kids that aren't their own? Or is that one of the most offensive things you could tell a farmer or suggest to them uh, is to share ownership? With it, are they out there? And what I'm, I'd love to hear, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm hoping it's true that in the future this is going to be more normal. Is that where you think, think things are heading or, or what's your, what are your thoughts, generally? I hope it's going to be more normal. And I think it's actually generational. The, the generation we have the most trouble with, whether it's succession within families or moving on, getting out, is, I don't know what the generation's called, but it's basically the one above the baby boomers. Um, and they, they're a generation that keeps things to themselves. Um, they're, uh, even within families, they don't share. Like I, I've come across so many families where there's a patriarch or a matriarch in their 80s running the show, and people in their 50s have got no idea and have never made a decision in their life um, of what's going to happen, what the debt level is, what the profitability is, whether they're going to inherit or not. You know, So that generation, I think, um, is very difficult to deal with it in that level. I suspect that as the baby boomer generation gets to this phase, you'll find it becomes easier. And... We're just starting to get into that phase now. Um, I can only recall one example um, where that's happened through serendipity, um, and it was a young couple who wanted to get started in agriculture. They went out and bought 45 head of cattle and had nowhere to put them. And they decided that they were not going to put them on um, parents' properties. So they had to find somewhere to put them and it's getting closer and closer for delivery. Anyway, they found a property that had some grass on it and asked the guy that owned it, could they adjust 45 head of cattle there? And they could. So they put the cattle there. But what happened over the next couple of years was that he got to know them, he got to know their passion for agriculture. He saw they had a really clear vision. He saw they had energy, um, he saw they cared for land and people and livestock, etc. And one day he said to them, would you like to buy my place? And they said, well, we'd like to, but um, we don't have the money to buy your place. And uh, they said, we didn't know it was on the market. He said, well, it is, but I didn't want to tell anybody. But he said, I'd sell it to you. And he said, I'll give you a vend- I'll give you a vendor finance. And they said, well, that will be good too, but, you know, we don't own enough livestock to be able to pay you back. And he said, well, take my herd and pay me back for that in 18 months' time. So what they actually did was went to the bank and the, um, the local sort of state government authority, which helps young people get started with loans. They borrowed the money to buy the land and... Um, and took the vendor finance on the livestock. They had to get guarantor from one of their parents to help borrow that much money. 
But the other thing they had was they would they'd been working for about 15 years. So they had saved and they had a little share portfolio. They had a couple of houses. Um, they'd, they'd shown they were prepared to invest and save money. So after about, it would have been 12, 15 years of working, they had 200000 in equity that they could put towards that step. And some of that went into buying the 45 head. So I think the, the thing that drove that was the... Um, the clear vision that they had that they wanted to get into agriculture. It was a very clear vision. Um, they had a support network around them um, that could help them make those hard decisions and also tell them how to go about doing contracts on to buy a property and how you go about getting finance and all of those that stuff that you've got to learn. Um, and so they've gone now from a net worth of 200000 and within four years they had a net worth of $2.5 million. So, and you might think that they're pretty lucky, but they've gone through years and years of drought. They then had a flood that wiped out a lot of infrastructure. They've had an earthquake. They've had a serious injury within the family, and they've had three kids all at the same time. So it can be done, um, but it takes the thing I, one of the principles of life, which I think is a governing principle of life, is that focus is your power. And then if you want to achieve something, then just focus on it and start and do something, you know. And if they had not bought 45 head of cattle and started without knowing what the end point was going to be, nothing else would have happened. And I tell people, every day, well, not quite every day, but very frequently now that I used to think that the way to achieve goals was to set a goal and then develop the strategies to get there. That is completely wrong. What you do is set the goal, be very, very clear about it, and then get out of the way. And what that does is it sets up your RAS, which is your reticular activating system, which filters in opportunities. And all you need to do is be ready to take those opportunities and then do some work. And you will get to where you wanted to get to most of the time faster than you would ever have anticipated it was possible. But unless you're on the you know, unless you're on the journey, unless you've started walking to wherever it is you you're wanting to go, even if you don't know if it's the right pathway, just get going and be very clear about the end point. Do not worry about how you're going to achieve it. Worrying about how you're going to achieve it most of the time stops you achieving it. So just have the end point clear and the start point and go. Terry, this is the best. Uh, every, uh, again, I wanted to jump in with 20 other questions around that or, or confirm everything you were saying there. That story of that next-gen farmer and putting themselves out there getting in front of a farmer who could offer them opportunity. They wouldn't have even realized that op that opportunity was there, but because they'd proved themselves, they'd shown that they were passionate, uh, that that this farmer said, oh, I want to back you. And that is exactly the story we're telling all our aspiring farmers. What are you doing right now to show someone that you're worth backing? Are you out there buying two cows, trying to get a lease, um, doing the RCS course, um, meeting with as many people at the pub as you can to connect with them and figure out the lay of the land? What are you doing? Get out there because who's I guess who's going to back someone who's sitting at home watching Netflix all day? Uh, but to be able to back someone who you know is going to be good with your money, who's already got investments and building wealth uh, and out there having a crack, they're the people that you want to back and that's 
that's what I think you as an aspiring farmer need to have that mindset. And everything you said there, Terry, just confirms that. Not only will people not back you if you're not actively on the journey and clear about what the end point is, but the universe won't back you. The energetic system that gets us to outcomes won't be with you um, unless you're actually focused and on the journey. Um, so it's a it's a powerful system and uh, universe we, we live in and understanding some of that, I think, is a critical part of that journey. There's a lot of help we can get and not just from people. I love it. Love it, Terry. Mate, I'm going to wrap up there because I know you are very busy. I We're going to create lots of content out of this, little snippets. This is gold, mate. There's so much here. I'm going to repeat it all the time. Um, but just before we go, uh, we we can confirm that there is a uh, we've got a partnership with RCS. Uh, you guys have kindly offered a discount to our premium members uh, to the Grazing for Profit course, which is amazing. So we thank you very much, Terry, for that very kind uh, offer. Uh, you can go to our website to to see the details. But that's for the premium members. We want all of our aspiring farmers to go to this course. Uh, it pretty much is a prerequisite. Uh, as Terry said, to get on getting onto farming, I think it's it'll look great when you're trying to convince an investor or a retiring farmer that you've spent time, money, uh, and energy doing this course and applying it in real life. I, I, yeah, you should be clicking right now and signing up is the is the end point. But Terry, you, the courses cover uh, what what geographical area do you need to get to to go to one of your courses? No, well, we're Australia wide. Um, but often you've got to travel. We, we, I think this year we've got about 13 on, two in West Australia. Um, one's on, this starts this week, and another one in March. Um, we've got one in Victoria later in the year. We've got one in Wagga coming up in March, which I'm teaching. I don't teach them all now. Um, and then I've just finished one last week in Rockhampton. We've, we've got a couple more in Queensland. We've got a couple more in got one in orange coming up so they're anyway. they're spread around i think we've got one in dubbo later in the year so they're they're, they're spread around it's just watch the website you're better off getting out of your own district and out of your own little dunghill to do it um because you want to be exposed to people and ideas that are different to where you're thinking the way to expand your own mind and your own knowledge is just expose you know expose yourself to people that you never would have met and who think differently or operate differently to the way you're thinking. And um, and that also gives you a better network and, and a network in a different part of Australia. And for when you're trying to get going into, you know, something like this, get going into a farm for the first time, then the bigger that network is, the better, you know. And our network is quite large. I think uh, we have about 11,000 people on our database. Um, so that... You know, when people are graduates, then we're very happy to sort of, you know, try and help access some of that network. Terry, I have really, really enjoyed this interview, mate. I thank you again so much for your time. I know everyone watching will enjoy this uh, and I know more people are going to be inspired to follow their farming dreams. So thank you, mate. Thank you for all you've done and all you're doing uh, and uh, we're going to stay in touch and... Uh, and, uh, and keep inspiring that next generation on the flight to farm. So thanks, Terry, and uh, we'll speak soon. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for taking the time out. Pleasure, mate. No worries. Bye. 
Thanks for your attention. We know there are thousands of other things you could be doing or other podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen to listen to us. We appreciate your time so much. Please reach out uh, as we're happy to work through your farm ownership pathway with you. Let's get you farming.